Hello and welcome to Explore. I'm Leda and this is the regular podcast from the University of Exeter's student communications team. In each episode we explore a different topic with students, staff, partners and alumni which reflects the richness of life within our global community. In this episode I'm talking to Dr Dmitry Gavrilov, a clinical psychologist specialising in behavioural sleep medicine. As well as working in the NHS, Dimitri also teaches sleep medicine at Oxford University and works with Big Health on the digital insomnia therapy tool, Sleepio. Hi, Dimitri. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Leda. Thanks very much for having me. I'm going to be picking your brains today for ways we can all make sure we get a good night's sleep. Can you start off by explaining just what is a good night's sleep and why is it important for us? Well, I think that the, the first thing to say is that we all have an intuitive understanding of why sleep's important, because we all know that when we don't get a good night's sleep, whatever you might want to call that for yourself, you know that you don't function as well as you might otherwise do the next day. Sleep is something that plays a foundational role in uh, our function as human beings, and it, it plays a role across a huge number of systems and, of course, across many different areas of function too. So you know, some of the obvious ones include things like uh, learning and memory consolidation. Uh, the ability we have to recall information is uh, significantly improved if we give ourselves sufficient time for that information to be laid down over the course of a period of sleep. Um, things like mood is impaired, of course, if we don't get enough sleep or if sleep is disturbed. Concentration can be impaired if we don't get enough sleep. But also some of the more um, core uh, sort of physiological functions of the brain. So things like the glymphatic system, so the, the ability of the brain to clear toxins and metabolic waste um, is impaired if we don't get enough sleep. So the, these things are uh, uh, things that we can experience directly in terms of how we feel and, and how we perform. Um, and of course, they are, we don't need to quantify them too um, uh, explicitly to be able to appreciate how important they are. And when we think about what a good night's sleep might constitute um, for an individual. Really, it just means getting enough sleep so that you function well, so that you function optimally, and the sleep that you get is of good quality. We all have occasions where we may struggle to sleep, excitement, exams, job interviews. Are there things we can do to help ourselves get to sleep in these stress situations? So I think the, the first thing to bear in mind is that um, uh, we're talking about people in this context in a kind of a general sense. There are people who um, who are sort of wouldn't really consider themselves poor sleepers, but who have an average kind of, you know, a poor night once in a while. Now that's pretty standard. Um, I think we have to give it some evolutionary context here uh, and understand that uh, sleep is um, a process that is easily disturbed by stress or by threat. So the perception of threat um, which uh, tends to result in, in an acute stress response, something we often call the fight or flight response, is, um, you know, this, this is natural, normal human behavior, physiology. And so the way in which sleep is impaired or the way in which sleep is postponed, if you like, by the detection of threat is, is good. It's normal. It's natural. So if we were to be thinking in a historical uh, context, um, uh, for example, being cave people living however many thousand years ago, uh, if we heard a lion outside the cave, we'd all, um, you know, we'd, we'd feel alert, we'd feel ready to fight off the threat. And of course, that means that we were able to keep ourselves safe and of course, keep our family safe. So that's very, very sensible evolutionary um, uh, mechanics. But the problem is that that lion in, in 
modern parlance maybe, um, typically presents itself as worries or concerns that we might have about something that's going to happen the next day or of course or about in, in a slightly more nuanced fashion um, our ability to get to sleep at all so that the threat becomes something that's internalized if you think about a good sleeper and you ask a good sleeper how do you get to sleep good sleepers tend to say well I don't know I don't do anything particularly I put my head on my pillow and I go to sleep but if you ask someone who's struggling to sleep what you often see is people saying well I, I you know I don't know I try very hard I, I have blackout blinds and I have an eye mask and I have earplugs and I have Plinky plunky music, and I've got all this kind of stuff, and it still doesn't work. And of course, really, what that speaks to is is forgetting that actually we we don't need to do anything to get to sleep. We actually don't do anything at all. Sleep is not something we go towards. It's something that we uh, we give into. Um, there's a fantastic uh, 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 Austrian Jewish psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor, I think, um, called Viktor Frankl, uh, who wasn't a sleep specialist, but who uh, has a, a fantastic way of talking about sleep. He said it was. Sleep is, and he says it in a very poetic fashion, I'm afraid I'm going to butcher it in the paraphrasing, um, but he says something like, sleep is like a dove that comes and sits by your hand, uh, and it sits there quietly until you reach out and try and, and try and touch it. And of course, this is true. If we try and chase sleep, if we try and move towards sleep, then unfortunately what we end up doing is uh, end up uh, uh, engendering uh, anxiety or, or, or kind of uh, low-level threat. So... Uh, a good piece of advice is actually not to try, to actually give up trying. And, and instead of uh, lying in bed and tossing and turning uh, like, a, like a shark in a bathtub, one of my patients put it, which I think is great, um, give up. Go downstairs or, or move to a different room. Give up trying to go to sleep and instead um, you know, do something relaxing, do something that isn't activating or, or, or worry-inducing. Watch a box set or, or read a book or... Uh, do a jigsaw, do something that's uh, that's relatively enjoyable, relatively low um, uh, low stimulation. And when you feel sleepy again, get back into bed uh, and allow sleep to happen when it's ready to happen. The point here is that we're not doing anything to precipitate sleep. We're not doing anything to try and make sleep happen. We're simply allowing sleep to take place when it's ready to take place. That's a really good point. I find when I start to get sleepy on a night... I then have to go and tidy the kitchen for the next day. And so by the time I get to bed, I'm wide awake again. Should I perhaps look at changing that routine to make the most of my sleepiness at bedtime? Well, so one of the things that might be helpful to talk a little bit about to begin with is, is how sleep is regulated. So um, we don't need to know this as animals. We don't need to know how sleep is regulated uh, uh, from a scientific perspective, but it is quite helpful for people who struggle with sleep. And we have a what we call a two-process model of sleep-wake regulation. Uh, so the first process really is um, the build-up of what we call sleepiness, or in the jargon we might call it the homeostatic sleep drive or sleep pressure. And really what that describes is when you wake up in the morning, um, you begin to build up sleepiness, build up um, a, a sleep pressure, a bit like in a pressure cooker. And that builds uh, across the day, across the waking period, until we get to a point where it's very, very high. So the basic formula here is that the longer you stay awake, the more likely it is that you're able to fall asleep. And as we fall asleep, what then happens is we begin to release that sleep pressure across the sleep period. So we, we almost kind of release the pressure valve on the pressure cooker, as it were, and we wake up the next morning feeling refreshed, and the same thing happens the next day. Now that is overlaid 
um, onto a, uh, a sort of a timing mechanism, if you like. And that timing mechanism we, we refer to as the circadian process, and it's to do with our circadian rhythms. So this is the, the, the oscillations in physiological function that we all experience in relation to the, um, the light-dark cycle principally outside. So when we wake in the morning, we begin to feel more alert. Um, so our body clock starts to alert us a little bit before we wake up. Um, and then we peak in the middle of the biological day. So in the middle of the biological day would be, uh, you know, if you're an earlier person, it might be something that happens earlier for you relative to other people. If you're a late person, a night owl, it perhaps happens later relative to other people. But that peak in alertness happens in the middle of the biological day. And then it starts to get uh, less and less towards the end of the day. And so when we go to sleep, we have a low alertness from a circadian perspective and we have a high sleep pressure because we've been awake for a long period of time. And so that's the good time to go to sleep. So one of the things that's worth bearing in mind when we get into bed is remembering that actually uh, clock timings um, from your phone or from a, a clock on the wall really have no meaning at all when it comes to your your body clock. What we're talking about with the body clock is something that is, uh, this is biologically uh, uh, determined. It's something that's happening in relation to your physiology and its relationship with the outside world. So actually people going to bed at a set time, um, you know, looking at their watch and deciding to go to sleep, maybe that's not the best way of doing it. You know, if it works for you, you, you carry on doing it. But if it's something that you're noticing doesn't always produce the goods, then maybe it's better to start listening to your body. When is your body telling you that you're, you're ready for sleep, that you're feeling sleepy tired, that your uh, eyes are feeling sort of uh, uh, groggy and you're beginning to yawn? When is that happening? That's a good cue to go to bed. One has to wait until actually one is sufficiently tired, sufficiently sleepy, and actually calculate, give, your, give yourself a sense of how much time you actually need in bed. And actually most of us need between seven and nine hours. So spending it uh, much longer than that in bed is probably unlikely to be helpful. It's not going to bring about more sleep. So these are, these are considerations that are helpful. Um, but the, by and large, what we're looking for is that sign, am I ready to get into bed? Is it about the right time for me in terms of how much sleep I'm going to, uh, that I need as an individual? Um, and, you know, am I ready for bed? Am I feeling uh, wound down enough? Have I had enough of a, a kind of a relaxation piece before, you know, wind down routine before bed? Am I, am I feeling relaxed, quiescent? Um, you know, am I looking forward to getting into bed? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and these are things that, that you know, you kind of might want to think about a little bit. And with that in mind, what sorts of things could we do to help us wind down and create the conditions that are more conducive to sleep? So it's, it's going to vary from person to person, of course. And uh, one of the things that you, we, you know, we might want to bear in mind again is that caveat that I mentioned before, that you know, good sleepers don't tend to worry about this kind of stuff. They, they just get on with it. They don't think about it very much. If you're someone who is thinking about it quite a lot, then maybe that's part of the problem, you know, worrying about exactly what to do before bed and how to do it. Um, because what that speaks to is perhaps a, a sense of anticipatory anxiety as to whether or not you're actually going to fall asleep. But by and large, there's, there's, there's some very general good advice. And one of the things that we can recommend is to uh, try and keep to dim light in the evening, not to, to be uh, in overly bright light because bright light has a stimulating effect try and wind down in a way that is, is helpful for you, not in a way that is um, predetermined by uh, a set of kind of arbitrary rules. But, you know, you find that if 
things that you enjoy doing, uh, things that help you relax. Maybe it's having a bath uh, or a shower before bed. Perhaps it's listening to a piece of music. Perhaps it's reading a book. Lots of us like to read before bed. Um, any of these things are helpful if they're helpful to you. But the point here is that when you start to wind down, what you notice is that you're actually giving up being awake. That's what going to sleep is all about. It's not about actively moving towards sleep. It's about saying, right, I've, I've I've had enough of the day now. I'm going to give up being awake, and I'm going to and I'm going to let sleep take take over. But there are other things people uh, can try to if they notice that they're getting caught up in anxiety or arousal before bed, and thing and things like relaxation uh, techniques or meditation. Um, these are all things that that people might find helpful, or even watching comedy before bed. Things that that just help take the edge off, you know. Uh, but the idea is that they're not done in the service of going to sleep. They're not done in a kind of a purposive way to get to sleep. They're instead done as a means of switching off, as a means of letting go, uh, as a means of um, of relaxing, really, which then allows sleep to take place because, of course, we're feeling safe, we're feeling relaxed. And just as I mentioned with the, the cave people example, we're only able to fall asleep when we are feeling relaxed and safe. And there's a lot of other advice out there about things like avoiding caffeine, having a warm milky drink at bedtime. Is there something in that also worth paying attention to? So it's a, it's a great question. The, the, the kinds of advice that you're talking about there is something we collectively call sleep hygiene. One of the examples you used there was, was really helpful. So caffeine is a, is a really useful thing to pay attention to. Um, caffeine uh, is something that blocks the brain's ability to detect sleepiness. So it's a stimulant and it's the most widely used stimulant in the, in the world. Having caffeine in the system, in your in your physiological system, will impair your, your body's ability, your brain's ability to detect that sleepiness and to allow sleep to take place. Caffeine has a half-life, so we call it, um, so the amount of time it takes for the substance to be eliminated by half in your, uh, in your system, of between three and seven hours in humans. So it's something that, depending on your metabolic rate, so it's something that can hang around for a very long time. If you have a cup of coffee and you say, I'm going to have my last cup of coffee at three in the afternoon, then, you know, possibly by nine o'clock at night, you still have half that cup of coffee's worth of caffeine circulating around the system. So it's important to think carefully about when you're using caffeine. My general advice is if you, if you have problems with sleep, trying to limit caffeine as much as possible and having a, maybe a, a cup of coffee in the morning and then leaving it for the rest of the afternoon, decaf for the rest of the afternoon. That's uh, very sensible advice. Um, but it's also something that, you know, that it speaks to, you know, why you might be using that caffeine in the first place. Well, very often it's a kind of a chicken and the egg kind of scenario. If someone's very, very tired, they might use caffeine to try and stay awake. But of course, that then impacts their sleep, which then keeps them tired. So these are these are often things that... that um, they're, they're worth thinking about in, in a slightly more comprehensive way uh, than in a kind of a checklist of things to do and not to do um, before bed. So as an expert in sleep behaviour medicine, you use cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT, to treat sleep problems. Can you tell us a bit about that? The principal area really with behavioural sleep medicine is, is insomnia treatment. So this is the area in which I would say that the, the vast majority of behavioural sleep medicine takes place. And that's because insomnia is the, the most common sleep disorder. So it's something that's experienced at a diagnostic level by about one in 10 of us in the UK, which is a, a huge number. And if we think about um, why insomnia uh, hangs around, so it's a very pernicious problem for lots of people. Uh, and it's something that, that often lasts for very many, many years. One of the reasons why we hypothesise that that's the case is because 
we think that when people develop insomnia, they develop insomnia principally as a result of a, a stressor. So something happens uh, on the bedrock of a predisposition. So someone has a predisposition to insomnia, they experience a precipitant. Um, so this is a, a trigger, it could be a job loss, could be relationship breakdown, it could be a, a exam stress, whatever it happens to be, period of illness, COVID. Um, and what then happens is this, this anticipated disruption to sleep that we think is part and parcel of how um, you know what we talked about with the evolutionary piece there the fact that sleep is disturbed by stress this is then perpetuated by factors that, that sort of keep the problem stuck so this is changes to the way people think about their sleep changes to the way they feel about their sleep um, and of course changes to the, the way they behave in relation to their sleep so that might be Examples of these might be things like worrying a lot more about sleep, worrying about the effects the next day. Um, it could be uh, feeling overwhelmed by thoughts that that uh, pop up just before you're going to go to bed, which, which say, you know, I know you're not going to get to sleep tonight, or I know it's going to be another awful night tonight. Um, or they could be behaviours uh, like opting out of social events and saying, oh, I'm going to get an early night tonight, I'm going to go to bed early, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to get into bed, I'm going to sort it out, I'm going to spend more time reading about uh, you know sleep treatments or I'm going to try this uh, you know uh, remedy or whatever but of course what we notice is that these uh, perpetuating factors so-called perpetuating factors keep the problem stuck they keep the the sleep problem on the boil and so CBT for insomnia really is uh, it's not a singular treatment approach it's a it's a broad spectrum approach with various behavioral treatments and cognitive treatments that help to unstick the person from these things that are keeping that are keeping the problem stuck so help to unstick them from cognitive things that are that are problematic and unstick them from the behaviors that are that are getting in the way so really tackling the problem at its root dimitri what first got you interested in sleep as a specialism so it was uh, many many years ago um and i uh, was working in a national specialist center for pain management in Bath. A fantastic team um, working with people who had really um, uh, exhausted all their local sources of support for their pain condition. So these were um, conditions in which people would experience chronic pain that wouldn't uh, uh, improve with medication or with uh, physiotherapy or with interventions locally. And they came to this National Specialist uh, Pain Centre and really what was fascinating was that every single, almost every single one of these patients had a problem with sleep. Um, often it was insomnia, but not limited to insomnia. Uh, and so this just was a sort of a bit of an eye opener for me. I thought, gosh, you know, there's so many people who have sleep problems and uh, there's not very much that they're being offered really um, by sort of routine uh, 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 clinical care. And one of the things that was uh, encouraged um, uh, by my consultant at the time was to, to uh, develop skills in these areas. And I began to develop an interest, significant interest in uh, treating sleep problems. And I uh, trained and began offering treatments. And I, I noticed that actually you were able to make quite a big difference to people with actually relatively little input um, from a sleep perspective. You can provide good advice, you can provide good uh, evidence-based behavioural recommendations and actually people's sleep can change, can really improve and of course that can have a really big impact on their ability to function during the day, their ability to um, uh, to manage the other treatment elements um, that are being provided to them and of course to feel better, um, to have a better life. Sleep clearly has a huge impact on health and well-being. Dimitri, do you take your own advice? What's your routine to get a good night's sleep? 
so it's a great question. Thanks, Lena. I, I think I do take my own advice, yes. But um, as I said before, I think one of the things that's worth bearing in mind is that uh, when we, we don't tend to experience sleep problems, we don't tend to really think very much about sleep. And so sleep becomes something that is um, it kind of re reverts to its automaticity. Um, for me as an individual, I have uh, um, uh, for a long time been, a, been a, a meditator. So meditation is something that I tend to do every day and it's something that I find uh, very helpful and it's one of the things that I tend to do is to, to notice how easily the mind is drawn towards um, jumping on that bandwagon of oh god it's going to be another rubbish day tomorrow I just need to get to sleep I can't believe this is happening so on and so forth but um, being able to catch it sort of mid-flow as it were and, and noticing it coming about noticing how you're you're getting um, sort of hoodwinked if you like by the false friend of that arousal, that that frustration, saying, you know, come on, get get angry with me, get interested, you know, letting that go and allowing yourself to notice that that that's not a helpful uh, path down which to go. These are things that I I tend to do. They tend to be quite helpful for me when I whenever I do experience difficulty sleeping. Um, but again, that's just the way I do it. So it's not a not a uh, it's not the right way to do it. It's just the way I find helpful. Um, I do tend to have a cup of coffee in the morning, um, but I also tend to drink decaf tea throughout the day. Um, I don't have a particularly uh, stringent wind down routine um, because it's something that is, you know, it's, it's, I sort of take it as it comes. It's fairly, it's fairly relaxed. One of the problems I have is waking up in the night, remembering something that I haven't done or ought to have done, which then plays on my mind and keeps me awake. Do you have any advice or tips for dealing with that? So it's, I think it's something that lots of people will recognise, and I, I, you know, I certainly recognise it too. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? When that does happen, there is an immediacy of um, sort of an imminent sense of, as we say, kind of an, an imminent sense of threat. Oh gosh, if I don't get that done, then dot dot dot. And uh, the 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 way I sort of tend to experience that is that I get a a sense that if I don't do something about it, I'll forget about it again. It'll just slip back into unconsciousness and then it'll get lost. Um, but what can be helpful for people, I think, is a technique that we call uh, putting the day to rest. Uh, and really, it is is a, a very straightforward um, exercise in what we call stimulus control. Um, that limits the the interaction with a stimulus like uh, like one of those thoughts to a very specific setting and context so um, what we might do is encourage someone to get a pen and paper or a pad or a, a jotter and to sit down at about um, I don't know seven o'clock um, well before bed and to sort of download brain dump the day so everything that they uh, have to do for the next day things that they might have to uh, remember for the next day things that they might want to uh, to be thinking about um, prospectively without any kind of urgency and just to write it all down make sure there's an exhaustive list of all these different things that um, they need to, to remember consider uh, for the next day put the list uh, in a prominent place that's you know uh, for you so on your desk or perhaps or um, next to your, um, your your laptop and you set an alarm for the next day at say I don't know eight o'clock seven thirty whatever it happens to be and you make a mental um, uh, note that you'll come back and deal with this but the idea is that you don't carry this around and wrestle with it and try and make it go away you do something practical uh, but you keep it in a very specific setting in a very specific context um, and of course the next day you, you come and deal with it as need be but if that's happening for you at night and you are it's sort of waking up 
dramatize it a bit more and say kind of waking up in a sweat and think gosh I've forgotten that or you you know you can just add it there's nothing you can do at that point that's going to make it any better right uh, so emailing someone at three in the morning is unlikely to be helpful but writing a little note uh, by the side of your bed and saying right I'm going to add it to that list of things to do tomorrow morning that just takes it out of the 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 in tray and puts it in the out tray and allows it to be something that will be dealt with effectively the next day but the point is that what we're trying to engender is this ability that we have to really not have to respond immediately to threats and so developing techniques like this as a means of managing that uh, i think is 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 helpful but not lying in bed and, and tossing and turning and trying to forget about it that's really useful i'll definitely try that Dimitri, you've given us lots of great tips and advice on how we can have a generally better night's sleep but at what point should we seek professional help for sleep problems? What sort of signs should we be looking out for that it needs further treatment? That's, that's a great question. Uh, and I think that um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary based on the sleep disorder that might be um, taking place. But I'll keep, there are some broad brushstroke symptoms that people might want to look out for. And one of them uh, in terms of insomnia is, you know, difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep. Um, it's really struggling chronically to fall asleep and to stay asleep uh, and to wake feeling refreshed and to um, uh, you know and to function optimally the next day that you know that that might speak to to kind of more the insomnia piece but you also get people who experience um, uh, what we call excessive daytime sleepiness so being really really sleepy during the day not necessarily as, as a result of um, uh, uh, subjectively obvious sleep disturbance at night so people might feel uh, that they, they, you know, they could fall asleep in the middle of the day without warning, or they could, um, you know, they, 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 they wake up feeling absolutely wrecked, despite having had uh, ostensibly a, 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 a sort of a relatively solid night's sleep. These are signs that you might want to go and speak to your GP about. And it could be that they represent a sleep-related breathing problem, uh, or it could be that they represent something else. But where sleep is not um, uh, doing the role that, that it that it should do, and the role for sleep is to is to give us access to the day, really, it's to help us function during the day. Um, uh, you know, where that's not happening, seeking help is you know is advisable. And of course, people shouldn't feel uncomfortable, I guess, or shouldn't have to feel uncomfortable, sorry, um, about going and seeking help for sleep problems from their general practitioner or from a um, from a local support service because of course sleep is is hugely important it's something that is, is is so is so important to us all finally then if people listening take away just one piece of advice from our conversation today what would you want that to be one of the most important things to bear in mind is that sleep is is automatic and natural right and it happens naturally if you look at the outside world look at the birds flying around outside or the squirrels and things that you know, they just, they, they do it. They go to sleep when the lights go out in the sky and they snuggle down. They go to sleep, they wake up when the lights come on in the morning. Um, one of the things we can try and do is to is to really come back to our uh, our evolutionary roots, to our natural roots. We are humans that have uh, done things like extend the day by, you know, having light bulbs that we can keep on all night and using the internet or stimulating stuff throughout the night to keep us entertained and awake. But actually, this isn't stuff that happens um, to our brother and sister uh, creatures out there in the real world. So um, trying to mimic that a bit is is probably helpful for people. And one of the ways in which you, one of the most obvious ways in which you can do that is to try to get, a, get up at the same time every day. So give yourself a, 
um, a kind of a, a time when it's naturally uh, sensible for you to get up. So that might be if you if you find that you generally wake up at about seven o'clock, then sticking to that sort of getting out of bed by seven o'clock, but not being in bed when you're not sleeping, um, sort of getting up at the same time every day, uh, and sort of trying to keep it fairly stable. I think that's probably the best piece of sort of singular piece of advice I could give. Thank you to Dr. Dmitry Gavrilov for his insights into sleep behaviour. Thanks for listening to Explore, the regular podcast from the student communications team. You can find more podcasts reflecting life at the University of Exeter by searching for Explore on your preferred podcast provider. You'll also be able to follow or subscribe for future episodes.